All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Acts chapters uh, 24, and then we'll get into 25 a little bit, probably to verse 12 is the plan, just to verse 12. Sign-up sheets are out there for helping out with the kids' camp. If you're interested in being there for that week, or can be there for setup only, or can be there for teardown only, or whatever, I think there's a place for you. Um, the more hands, the easier it is for everybody, especially the pack-up time. Most of the counselors are, you know, wore out, and those that have been there all week are wore out. So if you want to show up on Saturday morning around 9, it would be a great blessing to pack up everything and get it all put away back here at the church and so on. So um, there's lots of things for you to do if you're interested in helping out with these kids. We've got about 65 slots for the kids. We can stretch that to 70, I think. And those registration forms are out there as well for your kids to get signed up for it. Um, Deadline for that's June 1st. We really don't want to wait much past that. Um, they won't get a T-shirt because uh, we have to put our T-shirt orders in. And so if they do sign up after June 1st, they won't get one of the shirts. It'll be hard to, um, to do that. We don't have a second run, you know, kind of thing. So if you can do that, that'd help us get cabins situated, figure out what kind of counselors we need and so on, and um, really helps us with the food and how much we're supposed to purchase. So kind of important. All right. Acts chapter 24 and part of 25. This is a, a, a section where Paul is defending himself um, in front of several councils, or the beginning of several councils. Um, he's been taken to Herod's Praetorium. That's where we left off last week, where it's basically a seaside resort, you know, for the king. And while the king's not there, he gets to uh, hang out there. And he's got liberty, uh, freedom of movement. He does have a contingent of soldiers, mainly to keep him safe, not to keep him incarcerated. Um, but because we, last week we had 40 men that had vowed not to eat or drink until Paul was dead. And Lysias, who was in charge of him at the time, the, the captain of the guard, so to speak, for Paul, decided this guy needs to get out of my area. Um, I've got too many people, that, you know, three riots, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> he's a problem. I don't know what he's done, but he's a problem. And Lysias says, I'm moving him on to someone else's turf. Let's get him out of the area. Um, so he's handed him off uh, and is expected to um, let Felix do the judging for him because he, he can't discern what's wrong with him. He understands that Paul's a Roman, um, needs to be judged according to Roman law. And that was one of the blessings of being a Roman citizen. It didn't matter where you were. Um, you had to be treated like a Roman citizen, even if that government style wasn't, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't even under Roman control. They all knew that if they had heard a Roman sold or Roman citizen, that they were in trouble. And so Paul pulls the Roman card and says, no, you're not going to beat me to try to figure out what's wrong with me. Um, you need to try me like a Roman citizen. And so they do. And that's where we find ourselves. Um, Paul's in trouble. And this is the important part, I think, for tonight. Paul's in trouble because the guys, the Christians, the leaders in Jerusalem, told him, we need you to go appease all the Jewish Christians by going into the temple and purifying yourself. This is what started it all. Um, they had a problem with Paul before he showed up, but the leaders thought maybe we could appease them if Paul would just make a showing there of, of, of legalism, if he could just do a, something that would make them uh, at least think that he's still just like they are, completely legalistic and yet uh, a Christian at the same time. And they've got a problem there in the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church there is uh, 
Uh, they're not spread out. They weren't scattered. They've decided to stay there. And in order to stay there, they become a, uh, not a custom, but they, they've, they've kept their customs when they were supposed to shed their customs. They've left, they've kept those uh, roots and, and didn't understand that Christ is the new covenant. They've kept the old covenant and the new covenant. They're trying to fulfill two contracts for righteousness uh, in God's eyes, the legal contract and then also the relationship contract, and, and it doesn't work. One, one was to replace the other. They weren't in force at the same time, but they were, and so they were doing everything a good Jewish person would do, and they had Christ uh, as an addendum to their walk. Well, Paul didn't teach that. Um, Paul didn't teach against the law. He understood what the purpose of the law was. He understood that Christ fulfilled the law, and so he taught that way. Nothing wrong with the law. It was absolutely perfect. It was God's, but he understood the new covenant, and they don't. So get up there and do this, Paul. Well, we've yet to see any of those guys step forward to be a defense for him. This is all our idea. This is something we made him do. This is something we asked of him, that nobody's standing out there. And I only bring that up not for a start saying, yeah, where are those guys? Because that's the tendency. Where, where's my support group? What I, what I want us to note tonight is how Paul can stand with Christ by himself. By himself. I'll probably get myself into trouble tonight because it's really on my heart a lot. Um, this, uh, this strength we need to have in Christ, to be complete in Christ, to have a walk with Jesus that is solid, strong, unfailing, uh, faithful, um, despite who's with or, or without us, you know. But if everybody was gone, I walk with Jesus. Everybody's with me, I walk with Jesus. It makes no difference who's beside me, I walk with the Lord. So in verse 1, Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders, and a certain orator named Tertullius, whatever, Tertullius, he's a lawyer. I mean, that's all we have to say. Nothing wrong with lawyers, I guess, but this guy's known for being a great orator. So he's, a, he's an ambulance chaser kind of lawyer, though. And, I, you know, we do have problems with those guys. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation saying, seeing that through you, speaking to Felix. Remember who Felix was? Felix is the governor who got placed there. He was a slave, but because his cousin knew the emperor, he got put into a position of power, but he ran it like a slave would. Like he'd been beat so often as a slave, he beat everybody that was in front of him. That's kind of how he would govern. He was super tough on everybody. Whether it was right or not, he loved his power. He loved his authority. He loved his scepter. And so, this is how they have to talk to this guy. Seeing that through you, we enjoy great peace and, prosper and, and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. That's a lie. Everybody knew this guy was a snake. I mean, it's documented. Everybody knew who this guy was. He took bribes as often as he could. They understand how to get through Felix's court, and it wasn't a legal challenge. 
It was in an envelope slid under his door. Everybody knew this. And so when this guy's speaking, he knows what he has to say to get on Felix's good side to get a good judgment. No case is going to be made. No evidence is going to be presented. Their entire hope is resting upon this lawyer's ability to flatter. That's how they're going to get their way. They're going to flatter their way to a, a positive uh, outcome. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear, by your courtesy, a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, um, maintaining that these things were so. No eyewitnesses, just accusations. Through flattery, just the accusation, that's all we have here. And the other Jews are going, mm-hmm, what he said, and that's all they have. And the guy even throws Lysias under the bus here. Lysias was the commander who turned him over and said, look, you guys, this is a kangaroo court. You guys are going to try to kill him. You got 40 guys waiting in ambush for him. He understood all of these things. And so they throw Lysias under the bus to try to get him in trouble. You know, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that Lysias guy. But here we are, you know, not our fault. Sorry that we're being so tedious. Sorry we're wasting your time, Felix. Sorry. And Felix loves this. He eats it up. He's eating it up but just accusations. By rights, in fact, according to Roman law, you had to have two or three witnesses just like a Jewish law. You had to have two or three witnesses. You couldn't just make an accusation one-on-one. There must be two or three witnesses. Otherwise, mm -mm. it's your word versus their word, and and we're not going to decide based off that. We need witnesses. And so they're supposed to have two or three. Now, Now, these are just accusations, None of these folks are saying they saw him do this. None of these folks are saying we're an eyewitness. We're all saying we've, 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 we know this guy's this, he's this way. I'm just bringing this out because um, we have to be careful also that we don't just listen to accusations, that we don't be an ear for that kind of thing. It's very good practice, I think, for a Christian to say, now hold on a minute, you know, before we go any further here, as you're telling me this juicy tidbit about somebody else, would you write it down first? And then would you sign your name to it? Because I'm going to call them and tell them that you've signed your name to this accusation and we're going to talk, talk this out and get this straightened out. Well, I don't want to sign anything. I just, you know, I just thought you should know what was going on. Well, then we probably shouldn't be talking about this, should we? Well, you know, it's just, I know, I know. what. Well, I don't know, but somebody else knew and saw, and heard, and all of a sudden, you become complicit with it when you give them that ear. Um, It's very damaging. It's very damaging. Likewise, when you have an accusation, true or not, hopefully true, you've got witnesses. You need to have witnesses to these things. And so they're supposed to, but they have none. They don't even have one witness that would still be illegal. You'd have to have two or three. They don't even have one. And Paul's going to bring this up in his defense. So that's how they start off with this wonderful throwing him. And oh, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazareans. There comes that word again. Remember that? 
they would make fun of Jesus and the disciples. You guys are Nazareans. They would make fun of them because they'd have that Nazarene drawl. You know, you could tell by the way they spoke. When Peter was by the fire, she says, "You're one of those Nazareans too." I can tell by the way you're talking. You know, you say "crick" instead of "creek." Or you say timber instead of forest or woods. We can tell by the way you carry yourself. And Nazarenes were just thought to be, you know, bumpkins, basically, flyover country in Israel. And so he throws that in there. He's a sect of the Nazarenes. Hardly worth your time, Felix. So, I mean, he's really, in his opening statement, he's certainly given him, well, everything that he has. Now, verse 10. Then Paul after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple, disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue um, or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But I do confess, I'm sorry, I added that. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. If you're going to accuse me of anything, accuse me of following Jesus. If you're going to accuse me of anything, accuse me of believing all of God's word. If you're going to accuse me of anything, accuse me of having a hope in the resurrection. Those are the three things that I am guilty of, Paul says. These are the only things that I believe and teach and share with other people. And everyone in this room agrees with all of it, what I've just said. And so he's trying to make a point. These guys don't have a case. They don't have a leg to stand on. Now, Paul is defending himself. I'm glad to answer for myself, you know. And that's what I was alluding to in the beginning before we got started here. I, I want to be and an example of that. Um... My wife is an example of that. I want my kids to be examples of that. I don't want them to need dad. I want them to trust me and I want them to learn from me, but I don't want them to need me when it comes to walking with Jesus Christ. I want them to walk with the Lord by themselves. Um, I want them to figure those things out. I want them to make mistakes and figure it out just like I did, but I want them to get in the habit of when you fall down with the Lord, you get yourself back up with the Lord, and you, you repent and you get right with him and you walk, because that is going to be your walk until you're 100 years old or dead. You're going to have to learn how to do that, and I want them to do that. But I also want everybody I know to do that. I want them to be able to walk with the Lord. I want them to be able to have full confidence, full assurance in him. I want it to be okay if they're all by themselves, that they can give a defense for themselves, that the circumstances don't change their relationship with God or cause them to stumble. That, and I know that takes, that takes work and teaching and, and understanding and growth and maturity, and I understand that, but make no mistake, that's where we're headed individually. That's where God wants to take us anyway, and as a fellowship. He wants us all the way there. Support groups are fine, but... We have a support group. 
I was going to make a funny joke. I don't think it would be funny. <laughs> I'm laughing at it. But we're going to start a new small group program here at Calvary Chapel. Every single day, at any time you choose, you get to meet with your small group, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and yourself, and His Word, and have a wonderful small group lesson with Him. And I guarantee you, it won't be the pooling of ignorance. It'll be an awesome time with God. There's no better small group to have than with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, His Word, and you, anytime you want, in the comfort of your own home. And He doesn't care... Have coffee, have tea, have a diet Mountain Dew or a regular Mountain Dew if you must. But have that small group and discuss and pray and learn and grow, defend and do everything you want to do, you know. What more could we need other than to be complete in Christ? Paul is complete in Christ If Jesus is our example of what it's supposed to look like to walk with the Father, Jesus walked alone with him. Yes, we bear one another's burdens. Yes, we support one another. Yes, we pray for one another. Yes, we teach and we assemble together and we do all that. But but can you do it without that? That's the key. We want to get to that place as Jesus is our example, as Paul is our example, as John is our example, as any of the judges is our example, any of the prophets are our example, Abraham's our example, Moses is our example, Adam's our example. These folks all had such a great relationship with God, they walked despite everybody against them. And it was solid. And there was confidence and there was joy when there shouldn't be and there was peace when there shouldn't be and there was hope when there shouldn't be. So that's why I said I was going to get my trouble in trouble tonight. It's just so counter North American Christianity. But you go to any other country in the world where they walk 10 miles to church or have to pray to find out where the location is. You know that's how the underground church in China works? They pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show them where they're supposed to show up and they just show up together at the same place. There's no secret handshake. There's no notes passed. There's no secret thing in the newspaper that says if you read every other letter, you'll figure out the location. None of that. They pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show them where to go, and they show up at the right time, and they begin to worship God. And just when they're done and they've all vanished, that's when the guards come in, missing them just by moments. I don't wish that upon us at all. I don't want it to be the underground church, but, but... I don't know. To be that close to the Holy Spirit, to be that reliant upon God, to have that much fullness and complete in Christ. Paul here, standing in front. There isn't a James around. There aren't the myriad of Jews that they were trying to please. No one's followed him here. No one's supporting him. No one's alongside of him. And we, we would all today probably cross our arms and say, where are, is our support? Where's our group? Where's everybody? Don't they know that I'm... They doesn't need it. He's able to stand with the Lord. All of these have forsaken me, he says. And here's the thing, before we get excited. 
That is called sharing in the fellowships of the sufferings of Christ. Not that we should put that upon. Of course James should be there. Of course we should be there for one another. And this is where I'm trying to make up for anybody getting mad right now. Of course we should be there for one another, but that's, that's on them, not on me. And if they're not there, I'm okay. And if they're not there, why aren't they there? And would I want them here anyway? And maybe God wants me alone. And that's okay too. Those have been some of the sweetest times. I think I've shared that in the past is when I'm alone with Christ. Not moping, not wondering where everybody else is, but sitting there saying, okay, God, it's just you and me. Lay it on me. Oh, it's just, and it's powerful. Weeping, you know, and you know, the word of God just jumping off and scribbling notes. Oh my goodness, I gotta memorize that, or I don't have time to memorize that. I can't memorize anything. And I just just so full, you know, so amazing. Whereas if someone was beside me, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Maybe I'd have been focused on them. Maybe I'd been listening to their words instead of him and his leading of the Holy Spirit. I like the fact that Paul can do that. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Look at Paul's stand with God. Everybody's against him in this room. There's a, he doesn't have a friend. There's nobody there and he stands. If I'm guilty of one thing, I confess this to you that I'm guilty of following Jesus, of worshiping God, of believing all the word of God, and my hope is in the resurrection. Now, verse 17, After many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a knob nor with a tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. That's the only thing I said that was controversial. Resurrection. But none of the objectors are there and none of the supports there. Just Paul and the Holy Spirit enough. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, that's what they called Christianity back then, the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision in your, on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. By the way, none are documented as seeing him here. Nobody visits him here. If any of his friends want to be there, if anybody wants to come and help for him and provide for him, you bet, let him. Nobody comes. That's okay. Because during this time, we suspect, I suspect, that Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. It's during these two years here of waiting for his real trial, this is where he writes his letter to the Hebrews. God had purpose in that, his solitude. God had a reason for it. It's one of the greatest letters written in the Bible. It's one of the most important 
sections of Scripture to counteract this very thing. The reason I'm sitting here is because I was trying to please that myriad of Jews who will not let go of the old covenant and allow the new covenant to take precedence over it. So let me write this book of Hebrews to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. What a blessing. What does God have in store for any of us when we're in this situation? It's lonely, it's dark, it's quiet. Well, let the light shine and see what he wants to do. It's a blessing. So much can come from it. Or, or if you don't choose this, nothing comes of it except bitterness, resentment, and all you can see are the people that aren't there as opposed to the one who's been there the whole time, Jesus Christ. What do you want to do? My kids beg for dad time. They love it. Mariah sometimes says, if I get up early, can we go to McDonald's? Well, why do you want to get up early? Oh, because everybody else will be asleep. Smart little girl, you know. And of course, I know she can't get up because she's one of my best sleepers. I say, sure. I never have to get up. Isn't that mean? I know. I should do, I should do something. But they like that date time with dad. You know, you get to take them to McDonald's. There they are with their chicken nuggets and everything that they're not supposed to eat. Pie and whatever else. You know, the chocolate pie and the apple pie and maybe a fry or two. Maybe a piece of a burger if we ever get to it kind of thing. And It's just sitting there and looking around. Eating at McDonald's is a big deal to them. In the store, it's the most... No, does anybody work there? It's gross. It's sticky. McDonald's is sticky when you walk, okay? I don't want to eat there. I want to drive through, just throw it out the window and here, and go. Not, not the people. Just the store is sticky. Oh, no, we got to eat in the store, you know? Don't wear flip-flops. You'll leave them behind as you're walking. <laughs> but eating there and sitting in the store and eating and just... Of course, there's the gigantic television, which I try to put their back to, but then they eat like this the whole time, you know? Special time, obviously what I'm getting at here is special time with that is so important. Man, I don't think, and maybe it's because we're in the teenage stage of Christianity that we just don't think we need to be around that as much as we used to, but it's good to get back to that place. Maturity takes you through those stages, I believe, with Jesus, just like he does with, with, the, with kids. They start off with wanting, oh, I just want to be held, I want to be held, I want to be coddled, I want to be playing, I want to be, eh, I'm not so interested, and I kind of walk away. And, I kind of, and then when you get older, you're like, Dad... I need some advice, or I need some money, or I don't know what to do, or whatever. And it comes full circle back to that place, you know? And I wonder if Christians don't go through the same thing. We get to that place where I got this, I got this, I got it, I got this. And then you get old and you're like, I don't got nothing, you know? I don't have anything, God. I pray about everything. I want to know everything. What do you want me to do? I don't know, you know? It's a good place to be. To get back to that place where, you know what, alone time with the Father... Yes. Nice. Soak it in. So, don't, let, don't, don't keep any of his friends from visiting him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, she's a deal. This poor girl's a deal. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness... He reasoned about self-control. He reasoned and 
the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. He began to tremble, it says, and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcurius Festus, however, succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Two years this goes on, back and forth. Come in. Oh, you said too much. I'm convicted. Go away. I don't want to talk about it right now. And that's amazing in and of itself that the Holy Spirit convict a person so much that they become afraid and tremble and tell the person to leave. And as soon as they leave, they're able to calm themselves down and not feel that conviction anymore, numb themselves to it and continue on with their sin. You can do that too many times to where you become callous to the gospel. You become callous to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've said no so many times. You've bristled so often. you become stiff in the presence of God's conviction that it doesn't affect you anymore. This guy doesn't come to know the Lord. Drusilla is an unfortunate young lady. He, she is his third wife. She was, became his wife at the age of 19, it says. Now, we don't have that in the scriptures. This is extra biblical. But she was 19 years old. Um, She's got quite a history. Her dad is Herod Agrippa. Herod, uh, the one who, um, well, and, and then her great-grandpa was, or grandpa was the one that took John's head. I mean, it's just a whole line of, of family mess. And this is what she's grown up with, is all these, uh, all these Herods. Now, Herod is a title. It's not really his name. It's not like Harry Agrippa. It's Herod, like Caesar or anything else. It's a title. Um, but that's where this girl comes from. She's a mess. She's a mess. Um, but she's still held accountable and she's still heard these things. She still knows. She's in the presence now. And I think Paul puts that in there. Once Drusilla came, Paul began to talk about these things, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Why would he do that? Except to maybe bring some conviction, except maybe to get somebody saved. As long as I'm going to be here for two years, let's get somebody saved here. But he gets afraid and tells him, I want you to go away. I don't want you to be here. I want at a more convenient time. And that is usually the reason. It's just not convenient for me to do that right now. For, I just got to process these things. Or I've got to whatever. You, you probably all run into that as you witnessed and shared your faith, faith with others. I just don't want it right now. What I know is the truth. I know the absolute truth. Even though God's word might say otherwise. So go away. Now, for two years this happened. So Paul, for two years, is writing, maybe, um, I believe, the, the book of Hebrews. He certainly keeps himself busy. No one's bothering him. He's alone. Um, nobody comes to see him. And in verse 1 of chapter 25, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So this is where he heads off to, Festus and um, He's coming down to take the place of Felix and so on. And he hears about this Jewish guy in Caesarea and hears about um, his problems. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul and they petitioned him asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. You think this is the same 40? 
I think it is. I don't think they kept their word the last time. Two years. They ought to be dead by now if they'd kept their word, right? I'm not going to eat or drink until he's dead. Mm, maybe a snack, you know, or something. I have a picture of how that movie should go in my head. These guys in ambush, you know, and they see the Roman soldiers all coming with him. And then it just pans to their faces, and all you hear is the guy next to him stomach growl, you know. It'd be a classic. I'd love it. Okay, that's just, eh. I got to get Seth back here. He can do that for me. He could make that happen. While they lay in ambush along the road. It's the same, guys. Let's try this again. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. No, 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 no. We're not going to just do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off on the right foot. I want to hear what he has to say. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. We're going to have this trial. We're going to do this. Now, Paul's been there for two years. He's tired of it. He's witnessed as much as he can witness. He's been shut, you know, kicked out of the, out of the, uh, out of Felix's presence uh, too many times. Felix just wanted money, wanted to bribe because that's what he was. Felix the rat, Felix the snake. Um, he's done with it, and so now this next guy comes in. Who knows how long this guy is going to keep him here? I mean, that's what Paul's probably thinking. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. This is that Festus guy. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul. Again, just accusations, which they could not prove while he answered for himself. Neither, and this is what he said, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. And when you have a false accusation, that's all you can do it, is to preach the truth. That's all you can do. Paul doesn't have to bring in witnesses. I've got witnesses that show me. No, I don't have to prove that I didn't do it. You have to prove that I did. So all he can say is the truth. I haven't broken any of the laws. Now what are you going to do, Festus? But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? No, he's not. Yeah, right. You're going to just bounce me back and forth. It's a big circle. I'm tired of it. And I bring all this up, and I, med- and I, and I, 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 I linger on these verses because you know what? Paul's done, and there comes a point in time when you're done. I'm done with this. You know, oh, Paul, should you turn the other cheek? I am. I'm going to turn my cheek to somebody else. I'm tired of dealing with you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hope, you know. I'm going to direct things here. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. In other words, your job is to judge this case right here, right now. I don't need to be sent anyplace else. I'm at the right place. Paul knows the law. He knows Jewish law and he knows Roman law. There is no place for you to send me. This is the place you're responsible. Where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. That's a big deal. Nero Caesar is not a real stable guy. 
He's actually kind of stable right now, but he gets really off his rocker later on. But still, you don't want to go to Caesar. Those guys didn't rise to power because they were just excellent leaders and stellar men. Okay. Paul says, no. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the, conferred with the councils, answered, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Exclamation point. That's it. You're off. Now these guys probably thought, well, that's the end of Paul. That's where he's going to die. And Paul's saying, no, God said I was going to go to Rome and witness. We're going to Rome. And it's going to be on your dime, too. I don't even have to buy airfare, you know. I'm going to go on a horseback, just like you sent me here. Take me to Rome. I want to go to Rome. And he's going to go witness to Caesar. This is the leader of the world at the time, you know. This is, this is amazing. It's, a, it's such a, an awesome thing. Who, who'd have thunk it, you know? How could you plan something like that? How could you aspire? How, how am I going to be great in the kingdom of God? You become great in the kingdom of God by being nobody, by being beat by mobs and wanting to go back in, by being someone who just has such a passion and a heart, by someone who can stand, who can stand with Christ without any support at all. He can stand because he knows what he believes. He knows where he's going. He knows he's been called by God. He knows what he's doing is right. And God is speaking to him, and he's speaking to God, and I mean, they have this wonderful relationship. He can stand in front of Caesar and give out the gospel boldly. And he's going to. And he's going to. After Paul does this, which we're going to get to next week or so, maybe not next week. Now, probably two weeks, we'll get there. Paul actually ministers, and it's after Caesar rejects the gospel, after Caesar rejects his witness, that's when Caesar turns into crazy man Caesar Nero, like we see. Um, and I say that because Felix has rejected the gospel over and over and over again, the conviction. Caesar's going to reject the gospel. A lot of people reject the gospel too many times, and they get weirder and weirder, more weird. And they get bonkers. And pretty soon they're controlled. Pretty soon they've given themselves over. Pretty soon they're no longer there. And um, I just want to warn against that. I don't know if there's anybody here that's heard the gospel so many times that they've rejected it so many times that they just don't. I don't know. I've never known a crowd. If you're feeling convicted tonight and you feel like I'm supposed to do something, you have to act upon it. You have to respond. It's not going to happen. He's not going to float you to heaven. He's not going to make you go anywhere. You've got to react. That conviction is meant to spark you to move towards God. I'm broken. I need fixing. I need help. And that has to be acknowledged and believed on. And then you have to move towards God. He's standing there. The prodigal father is an amazing story. The prodigal father never leaves the house. The prodigal son has to come back to the father, willingly, broken, confessing. Will be received for sure, but has to come back broken and repentant. And the father doesn't move. The son has to come back. And that is our father's position for all of us. Here I am. Here's the blessing. Here's where forgiveness is. Here's where grace is. Here's where mercy is. Come unto me, all your. But you've got to come unto him. Walk towards him. Go towards him. 
Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Draw near to him, broken, repentant. Let him do that work. Let him start that work. Of course, the, he's ready to put the ring on you and kill the fatted calf and wrap a, a robe around you, but you've got to get home first. Don't be like Felix. Don't be like what Nero's going to do. Don't reject Christ one too many times. Draw near to him. That conviction is so powerful and so amazing. God has nothing but good for you. Nothing but good. Nothing but good waits for you in his arms. And that's where we close tonight. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray if you want to pray it and you don't know the Lord to draw near to him. Maybe you don't know the right words. Of course he wants to hear from you, not from me. But I want to lead you in a prayer that might help you draw near to him, back to him. Jesus, I've been convicted tonight. You've shown me that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, that I need to come back to you on your terms, not on mine. So I come empty, nothing of mine, all of my sin laid out before me, and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want to receive everything you have for me, God. I want to be in your family. I want to be your son. I want to be obedient to you. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my king. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to be where I am right now. And so here I stand, broken and empty and naked before you, God, and you see all things. I can't hide anything from you. I can hide every, everything from everybody, but I can't hide anything from you. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being a loving God. A just God, a perfect God, but a loving God, full of grace and mercy. I don't want any more chances, second, third, fourth, fifth chances. I want this to be the last time. I want to draw close to you, God. I want to be with you forever. I want to stay as close to you as possible, God. So here I am. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Now, be Lord of my life. I'm in your family. You've asked me, or received me as I am. You've forgiven me for my sins. I don't want to sin anymore. Remove that from my life. Set me free from all those sins that I'm in bondage to. Replace them all with your godly attributes, with your goodness, with your faithfulness, with your love and your grace and your mercy so I can have that for other people also. Soften me, God. But then lead me. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Until the day I die, I want to follow you. I want to be in your ways. I don't want to be in sin. I want to be in your ways. I don't want to be in the world. I want to be in your ways, in your kingdom. So God, help. Just help. I accept where I am. I know that you're with me, and that's all that matters, God. Thank you. With you, I'm a majority. <laughs> I can stand like Paul did. I can stand like your son did. I can stand like all the other great men and women of, the, of your word stood. They stand with you. They stand as a majority. Nothing can defeat me because I'm with you. Nothing can conquer me. I overcome because I'm in you. Thank you for being my fortress, my stronghold, my all in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.